as an architect, our stores are designed to play on a kind of hyper-realism. And what I mean is we, we don't stand out. Our shops, when you pass by, you don't know really if we were there like from one day ago or 10 years ago. Welcome back to the Fifth Wave Podcast, our first new episode for 2024. I'm Jeffrey Young, Editor-in-Chief of Fifth Wave. In today's episode, we're speaking with Yasir Reis, the founder and CEO of Spanish specialty coffee business, Sira Coffee. Founded in Barcelona in 2015, Sira Coffee has grown rapidly in recent years and now has an impressive 43 sites across seven cities in Spain, as well as a formidable B2C roasting business. In this conversation, Yesir explores the inherent relationships between design, architecture, and specialty coffee, and shares his mission to democratize great coffee by making it accessible and affordable to all consumers. Welcome, Yesir. Thanks a lot, Jeffrey, for the invitation. I wonder if you could share a little bit of your background and what inspired you to start Sierra Coffee. I founded Sierra Coffee in 2015. My background, I'm, I'm 30 years old, so my background is I'm a former architect. So I, when I just finished my studies, uh, I was a lot into coffee. So I, I, I think there's like strong connections between design, architecture and specialty coffee as a way of taking care of every single aspect from, from form to cup, let's say. And um, so our main mission then, that is like the same one that we have now, was to spread and to democratize good coffee through like firstly, which is our core business, small coffee, uh, takeaway coffee shops. So, so very small units spread in a lot of neighborhoods based in Barcelona and then uh, outside outside Barcelona in Spain. And then our um, e-commerce that is complementary to this activity, uh, all of this connected with, uh, with a layer of technology that connects one to another, making like an omni-channel brand. Now, did I get my maths correct? You're now 30 years old. <laughs> you would have started that business when you're... Around about 22, 23. Exactly, exactly. It's just when I finished my degree of architecture, I decided to to like to build like literally the first one that was in a small street called Syracusa. That's why the name of Syracuse, it's like a short version of Syracusa. I built it myself, did like a kind of intuitive, like proof of concept of two years and a half, and then decided that we should um, just grow and replicate that experience. So we went neighborhood by neighborhood in Barcelona until we arrived to the shop number 13. Then we decided to go outside because we had a lot of customers of our e-commerce that were asking. And then at the end, like now we are like this, these 43 shops are spread in seven cities in Spain. But yes, everything started when I was 22. So I didn't have like any professional, let's say, experience between my career and building Sira. So where did you get your entrepreneurial spirit from? Clearly at 22, 23, setting up a, a coffee business. Where does that come from? In the family? Are there entrepreneurs? My both parents, uh, they're like both um, doctors in micro, mi- microbiology. They built their own uh, like laboratory, let's say. Um, it's not really in our roots in the family to build business, businesses, but yes, to do, to create things. Now, I think that this spirit comes from the fact that I'm uh, the second generation of immigrants. So my both parents come from Morocco. And I think like this culture of effort that teaches me, it's what's really 
just led me to mix this this aim of creating something and to work as much as possible. Incredible. I wonder if you could give us an image of the stores and the vision that you're trying to achieve at Syrah. What would people feel when they go into one of your stores? Every single store should, in a kind of way, answer to the neighborhood where we open, no? Because, of course, we have like a playbook of how to design a shop, how to put the counter, etc. But in terms of materiality, facade, it answers to the location where we are and the target we think we will have. So it's completely different to open in an extremely gentrified neighborhood, for example, than in a very residential area. And we have series in, in, in both cases. Eh? So the image is finding um, a human-scaled shop. So it's when I say human-scaled, is in terms of even that, that is not intimidating in terms of materials, of scale, of counter, of eye contact with the barista, with the position of the machine, with the mat- materials itself, etc. Then having a very honest and simple menu. So we don't overcharge our menu with uh, too much uh, seasonal drinks or crazy things. So we, we go on to the classics with an affordable price. And this goes because of our model. So we have exceptional beans, but as we are B2C, we, could, uh, we can offer an affordable price and uh, a human connection with the barista. And these with a service that is pretty fast. So we don't, we don't put this as our first goal to be fast, but it comes because of, because of the model. Uh, the focus is on the coffee. We have a very limited uh, pastry offer to not really um, charge too much the, the work of the barista that is focused on, on his passion, which is coffee. And then in two or three minutes, you have a nice flat white with a nice price in a, in a nice uh, location. And you can repeat this as, as much as you want in the day. And from a design point of view, as an architect, are you seeking to achieve different looks and feels or is there a common handwriting across all the stores? There's three common things that are pretty similar. It's like position of the menu and, and presence of like a wood element. But then no, every single location is different and this is made on purpose. The locations are not made different on purpose, but they are unique. So we, we don't design a location be, before having that location. It's not that we have like a playbook, which is like, an, let's, let's copy paste, right? We designed it with the soul we think this location had. So imagine if, if there's like already like a nice um, flooring or nice uh, lights or like wall um, covering, we keep it. We keep it because it's it's just nice to keep the, the touch that, that worked before. So it's um, more time-consuming work, but at the end, the customer could feel really the difference between a scene and another. Then, then of course, you have things that we repeat, uh, the logo, the naming, the, the menu, uh, the coffee machine, but the rest has to be different. Incredible. Well, 43 stores, seven cities across Spain. What are some of the challenges you've faced growing the business, especially in those early days? I think the first one is to understand that growth is not linear. It goes like in steps and this is very complicated to accept. So normally like this ambition of growth in terms of just finding this elephant in the room that no one sees that is like just democratizing this product made us think that this could grow, let's say, as a tech company, right? In terms of, of, of multipliers. But we tend to forget something very important is that we have a human aspect, a retail aspect and the roasting one that makes you sometimes have to stop a little bit to just 
start again in, in growth. So the, this, the, the first challenge is just understand that this goes as a step, as a, as like see as a scale really in, in, in terms of growth and not it's not a linear one. Then there's like another that is my main advice, I think, is just analyzing well what is your ambition as a founder. And, and for me, any ambition is legit and is good to have independently of having one shop or no shop or 1,000 shop. But understanding it and focusing it allows you a little bit to, to measure what you've been your needs. And in our case, for example, when we took our first roastery space that was in an annex of the first shop, we didn't calculate it well and we took uh, a space of 100 square meter um, that for us was huge, but Jeffrey, in like in six months, everything was packed. It was a mess because it was too small. So if, if at that time I was thinking just like a little bit more like cold mind, like let's really think what kind of space we need, we would save a lot of money. Just think a little bit more uh, on the future. So that, that was our main challenge. And has there been any time it was almost like, no, this is not going to work. The specialty coffee scene in, in Spain, as I, as I commented it like in the presentation in the symposium, um, the penetration of specialty coffee is harder in countries with already like a coffee culture there. That's why um, the penetration in parts as UK or Australia or even Gulf countries where the culture is much likely to be like in the past with, with other drinks as tea, it, it went extremely fast. In countries like Spain, Italy, France, with a past culture, the penetration of the market is harder because you, you really need to explain um, your future customers why this product is better in, in all the senses objectively, right? Um, so the easy choice for us in the beginning was to open in, in neighborhoods where our customers are. They were like uh, hipsters or millennials or Gen Z as we are. Um, but since the second story, we were like, no, this product should arrive to everyone. So we opened in countries where no one were. So that, like that first day, it was like, fuck, this, this will n never work. Uh, this is too much or people are too much used to um, uh, commercial slash industrial coffee. So there's like a, a lot of moments when, when this happened. And also when we just uh, bounced to other cities, when we went out from Barcelona to Madrid, I was extremely afraid because you, you, you could think really, okay, this is gonna, it's going to work. If we have coffee shops that are working in Barcelona, it, it have to work in Madrid, but it's not as mathematical as it seems. I'm fascinated by this concept of how do you make specialty coffee work in this very traditional market? It's definitely an uphill battle. It's been much slower to grow in, in many markets, clearly even Germany, Austria, Switzerland, Italy, France, you know, these European markets that are very entrenched in their coffee drinking habits and especially Spain as well. So I'm interested to know is when you were that small business, you were getting these inquiries from other people saying, can you open one of these in our neighborhood? What do you think they were looking for from you? I'm a strong believer that the key of all of this is product. So, I mean, it's not only product, but the main, main, main reason why people needed this is the product because if you say let's put like a very objectively a commercial or industrial coffee bean versus a specialty one a single origin one uh, with a medium roast roasted by a specialty coffee roaster and and you do like a kind of blind copying there's no way people will choose the commercial one as i said this is like a, the first point 
Then, so well, the, the main part for me, I think, is like as an architect, our stores are designed to play on a kind of hyperrealism. And what I mean is, we, we don't stand out. Our shops, when you pass by, you don't know really if we were there like from one day ago or 10 years ago. I mean, we don't stand out because we want to merge really with the neighborhood we're in. The only things that stand out is the quality of the coffee. So the thing is, people normally enter because of the facade, because they, they find it uh, very interesting. And, and they try the product and they repeat because of the product, because at the end, the palette is king for us. So for me, like the answer will be product and the consistency of it, which is the most difficult part. And so what about the kind of existence of chain concept? You know, are they successful in Spain, in your view, relative to your you know, specialty business? I think we are still in the early days of chains or let's say the big guys of the industry are still, in, are still leading this. I mean, I- even if we can call ourselves like a chain, I prefer the word collection because this is likely my, my architectural background. I think we are still in the early days, to be honest. I think we have a lot of things to do in a lot of interesting cities in Barcelona. Um, that seven cities that I mentioned goes beyond the big ones. So we are in San Sebastián, we are in Girona, we are in Málaga. And as much as we discover small and medium cities, we see the potential of specialty coffee industry in general. Um, so I think the scene is, is, is quite dominated by, let's say, the, the big operators and, and there's still a lot of things to do. And do you see a role for chains, whether it be the Starbucks, the Costas, the Cafe Nero's, the Predamoges, etc. What's your view on chains in, in Spain? It's, it's quite polarized because, to be honest, we have the example of Costa Coffee that tried to enter Spain or at least Barcelona and, and then they just closed, okay? And, and, and it was like a, a good, like they had good location, the good strategy, but somehow it didn't work. If we have to see that as a benchmark, I will, I will answer you like, okay, there's no places for big operators. But at the same time, I have the impression that not only Starbucks, but let's say Mac Cafe or other big operators are, are working. I think it's a mix of trying to convince the locals and the, the tourist one. I mean, one of our principal assets in Spain is tourism because of our good weather. Um, and, and this plays a fundamental role in this branch, right? And at the same time, we have like local heroes in terms of big chains uh, in, in all the segments, not only fast coffee, but we have, so not specialty coffee, but you have like in fast coffee, in, in bakeries. But again, I, I think there's a lot of things to do in, in both, in, in the big players and the medium ones and small as, as that we want to grow. How do you keep that quality across your business, that consistency as you grow so fast. You must be one of the fastest growing boutique chains across Europe at the moment. Jeffrey, this is one of our main challenges and is trying to emulate what worked when we were smaller, let's say, to try to keep that quality because it's always a try. So it's a bet and a try. So I cannot tell you, okay, the quality is the same um, of when we are doing like a six, seven thousand coffees per day, that the same that we were doing like 50. Of course, when you're smaller, you can have like more control because you're less people. And, and I was the first barista in Syria for the first year. So I, I could really take care of every single person because it was my business. I think the way we did it is trying to not bounce in other neighborhoods or, or cities uh, before knowing that that city is controlled. And what I mean controlled is that the first thing in, in the culture of Syria is internal growth. So all the people we have um, leading areas, uh, cities, 
and most of our headquarters came as a, as a part-time barista. So th this means really of uh, like a kind of transmission of cultural values that is like extremely capillar um, without being too crazy. So I, I get the point of, of the fast growth and uh, we, we had some moments that our growth were pretty aggressive, but we never bounced like, or, or escaped to another city or country without knowing that this was controlled. For example, we have we could have very nice opportunities in Portugal or France, but we, we, we see and, and know that there's like a lot of things to do in Spain yet in, in every single aspect, not only new openings, but in terms of, of trainings, of coffee roasting, etc. So it is capillarity. Now you mentioned affordable. How do you keep your offer affordable? I, I think that our model, so if, if you take the, the, let's say the early days of specialty coffee, um, the coffee chain, let's say, if you take from farm to cup, it was it was fragmented, right? So every single link was an actor and is an actor. Then you have the producer, the importer, the roaster, the coffee shop, and the customer. This, um, which is completely fine and, and it's complementary with our work, um, uh, is really encouraging a commission in every single link from farm to cup. So our aim was if we want to grow and we want to have control of the roasting process, let's just keep all that parts and take care of it and, and treat it with the, the same passion we, we serve coffee. And, and, and then instead of having this commission, we, we just don't uh, put expensive prices for the final customer. So at the end, we arrive with a, fully con a full control of, of the coffee we serve because it's uh, our roasting, our baristas, our locations. On, on a price uh, that is affordable, but like among goal, we have exceptional beans. And in this mission of democratizing good coffee, it's completely logical for me to have, let's say, less margin, but at least more recurrency. Incredible. It sounds like an exciting business model. Where do you see the business going? There's still space for Siras in Spain. Um, I think we could double easily the, the locations we have. Uh, when I say easily, it's not because of our capacities, but in terms of space, I find. And this estimation grows at the end of every single year where we discover something, right? Again, we are still in the early days of seeing this product to be democratized. It's, it's still not in the big hospitality sector, in restaurants, in hotels. We still see like restaurants overcharging for a coffee capsule, which is not okay for me. So as I see Syria in the like, short term future for this year is, is continuing betting on small cities, as the one as I mentioned, Malaga. Donostia, Girona, and, and others like that. Of course, we have coffee shops in Barcelona and Madrid, but I think like going a little bit further is more interesting. And then again, um, once we think it's nearly saturated or, or as we understand it's saturated, um, to go to another country, but again with this capillarity. So then the logic move be Portugal, France, uh, and then who knows. Any other projects in the pipeline that... Uh any specific future plans that we should be aware of? We launched last year uh, the CIRA Lab, which is like from the funda foundation. We always had um, very nice initiatives around sustainability and circularity. And last year, we just decided to just pack all of that initiatives and, and to communicate about these under the name CIRA Lab. So um, we're trying these, the, like this lab, these initiatives to go uh, around all our coffee shops. Like for example, one of the cool initiatives was in Barcelona, all our coffee shops recycle 100% of the coffee used to local farmers. 
And as this worked, we want to just implement this to the rest of, of Spain. We also had a very cool uh, prototype of a tile made of recycled coffee. Of course, this is because of our, like, let's say, architectural background. Yeah. And this goes under the Sierra Lab. So this is one of the exciting part of it. Thanks so much for joining us here today on Fifth Wave. Thanks a lot. It was a pleasure. And that's all for this week's Fifth Wave podcast. Please subscribe to the Fifth Wave wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've enjoyed this show, please recommend us to a friend or colleague. And if you want to stay informed, visit worldcoffeeportal.com to get access to all the latest global coffee news, including the weekly coffee dose, our newsletter, collecting all the big coffee news stories of the week. Links in the show notes. This episode was produced in the one and only Serendipity Studios in glorious Camden, North London. It was produced by myself, Jeffrey Young, Hannah Heath, and sound engineering by Chris Bristow. And this week's song, in collaboration with the Coffee Music Project, is Broken Ground by London-based artist Kavala. And until next time, stay safe, stay passionate, and stay caffeinated. God.